podcast on today's show we're going to hop into some college football landscape talk since it was a bye week not a lot to talk about with the badgers and then matt and i will dive into the michigan preview and then at the end of this show we're going to have anthony broom of maize and brew join us to talk about what his thoughts are on the michigan wisconsin matchup obviously a huge top 15 game big implications for both teams but first we're going to talk a little bit about some Wisconsin basketball news Uh, the Badgers landed a four-star recruit today at the center position I don't know much about the kid because I don't follow basketball as closely I'm more of a fan and not so much an analyst but Matt is going to give you a little preview um, on who the Badgers landed today yeah so Stephen Crowell um, really talented kid he's a big guy he's your prototypical uh, you know center power forward stretch big man uh, he's he's six nine somewhere between six nine six eleven depending on uh, whatever site or source you're using but he comes in at about two hundred and ten pounds similar to Nate Reavers in terms of his build uh, actually played at the exact same aAU program as Reavers, so it'll be interesting to see if his development kind of comes along uh, similarly to his. Um, but Kroll is definitely a guy whose uh, three-point game has been improving. His defense is improving, so I know the Badgers offered him in the July evaluation period just based off of some things they had seen in some of his growth. And, you know, it's it's a big get for Greg Gard to kind of jump on some of the other guys that they have with the Davis brothers and Warren Bowman and really be able to sure up uh, some spots on the roster. Uh, I know this class is now listed as, the I think, the 11th best, according to uh, 247. So it's definitely uh, bringing in some needed talent to the basketball squad. Yeah, I mean, the kid looks like, just at first glance, I was going over his Twitter today, and he looks like the prototypical Wisconsin center where you get him in, um, and they're scrawny, and then you know, in the system, they put on some weight, and they they develop their game, and all of a sudden, it's uh, you know, a big six eleven kid that can, that can shoot the ball and and stretch the floor. So, yeah, any any big uh, recruit for a Greg Guard is is obviously a win for Wisconsin, and uh, he looks like someone to be excited about for sure. Yeah, and it was it was great because he uh, he's obviously hailed from Minnesota, but you know, he he just recently visited Minnesota at the end of of August, then took his official uh, at the beginning of the month to Wisconsin, and then actually uh, skipped some other official visits towards the end of the month that he had planned. Uh, He was supposed to go to Colorado, Iowa, northern Iowa, before he was going to make a decision, but I I think he just loved what he saw at Wisconsin and just went with it today, which is uh, a a big-time deal for Greg Gard, and I know a lot of fans have been all over him with his ability to recruit, and it feels like he's starting to kind of pick up on uh, a little bit of a change in strategy of kind of giving up more offers out in order to kind of improve their uh, chances of landing higher-rated recruits instead of holding on to only two or three offers at a time. Right, right. Yeah, that's a huge get for the Badgers. I mean, anytime you can land, you know, talent to the program, especially out-of-state talent, uh, it's a huge win. And like you said, Greg Gard has gotten some 
got some flack for his uh, recruiting style and, and the players that he's missed out on. But you know, overall, if he's landing players like that, you know, the, I think the program will be just fine. So, but exciting news for the uh, for the basketball program. Obviously, we're not far away from uh, that getting underway. Uh, but for right now, we are in football season, so we're going to turn to that. And Matt, obviously, we had the the bye week this week. So, what did you get done with your uh, with your off Saturday and and Sunday? Uh, worked on some house stuff. My wife and I were working on that. Also, was able to spend some time with friends and family, uh, drink some good beer, uh, watch some football. Um, but it was overall fairly relaxing, which is always nice. You hit on everything that you need to do in the bye week. You got to socialize with the family and the friends. Um, so when you go back to in your cave of watching college football, you you don't feel so guilty about it. But um, I did the similar thing. Uh, I hung out with my family on Saturday night, hung out with some friends on Friday night, um, and then I watched the Packers on Sunday. And then I, I cashed five of my six bets for the weekend. So it really couldn't have gone any better for me. Um, so pretty exciting. But I'm I'm ready to get back to uh, Badger football. The bye week in week three really really threw me off. Yeah, no, it'll be it'll be uh, it'll be nice, especially when you're coming coming off a bye week and you got a big one coming up this weekend. Right, right. It's a it's a huge matchup, not just uh, some cupcake where you're gonna back gonna be a back at Camp Randall. It's gonna be a exciting atmosphere and really excited to get to that. Um, so now we're gonna dive into some college football landscape talk, but first we're gonna do a quick ad. All right, and now it's time to hop into some college football landscape talk. Obviously, we had the bye week this past weekend, but there was still plenty of good football on. So, Matt, which game did you find the most entertaining or, or you gravitate to and watch uh, a lot of? Uh, there was a couple that were really good. Early on, I had the chance to watch a couple of the 11 o'clock games. I wasn't able to keep up with the, you know, the 2.30 window with quite as quite as much. But the early games, you know, obviously Maryland Temple, I mean, all those goal lines – stands were just kind of crazy and it was interesting to see Maryland struggle offensively at times uh, after kind of the crazy outputs they were putting on the first couple weeks Um, but I thought the one that I found the most interesting was USC uh, and BYU I thought that had a lot of fun and it was cool to see BYU have a little bit more juice Um, you know it'll be interesting what they can do next week against Washington and then Florida Kentucky was cool uh, tough to see Felipe Franks go down. Not that I'm a huge Felipe Franks fan. Um, and then Iowa State and Iowa was fluky and fun and all sorts of weird. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it was just a weird weekend where, like, you know, you came into it, the, the slate of games got a lot of flack, but, of course, it ended up being entertaining. I, I was going to hit on the USC, BYU on two. Just the pageantry. The, the look of that game was so nice. I love BYU Stadium with the mountains in the background and the green grass, and obviously the back and forth from a football aspect was excellent. Um, the Maryland Temple game was a was an entertaining game, but, man, that that football game itself, the execution was, was ugly. And you had a seven-yard punt and then back-to-back goal line stands uh, for Temple. So it's a huge win for them, but it was definitely a disappointing mark for uh, Maryland, who was you know starting to build a, a ton of momentum. And then the game that I really found entertaining was the was the Eastern Michigan-Illinois game. Obviously, it was a bad loss for the Big Ten. You know, Eastern Michigan's knocked off a Big Ten opponent each of the last three seasons, but Illinois made a nice comeback, and then and then Eastern Michigan drove down the field uh, to kick the game-winning field goal. So I was while it was disappointing as a result as a Big Ten fan, it was a it was a very entertaining game. Yeah, no doubt. Going off of that, and, and a bad loss for the Big Ten. The, the conference as a whole really didn't have a great weekend. 
four kind of bad losses, and then, you know, with, with Iowa barely winning and kind of almost getting gifted that game a little bit, and then Minnesota squeaking out, there, there could have easily been six games. So, Matt, which, which performance from the Big Ten team, and it could be win or loss, but which, which team really disappointed and, and kind of hurt the Big Ten as a whole in your eyes? I, I thought, uh, I, guess, I guess I'll go with two. In one, one, one that they lost. I thought Michigan State, you know, they, they really just couldn't get anything going offensively. They struggled with that. And they were going up against an Arizona State team who obviously just has their number after the past two seasons. I thought, I thought they were, frankly, just outcoached. Uh, they, they didn't seem to bring anything to the table offensively that was new or creative to kind of change things. Elijah Collins couldn't get things going really on the ground. It was just it, – it was more of what we saw last year from Michigan State, which I think is not great for, for them. And then the other one was uh, Penn State. I thought, you know, they obviously barely beat Pitt, but at the same time it was one of those things where James Franklin – you know, seemed to not make the mistake that he sometimes does in the big games. But Pat Narduzzi just basically stubbed his toe over and over again towards the last quarter of that game, causing Pitt to lose because I thought they looked pretty solid. Kenny Pickett was throwing the ball well for Pitt, but man, oh, man, to just watch some of those uh, just miscues at the end of the game. I mean, they got held on fourth and uh First and one, second one, third and one, fourth and one, and then cho- choose to f- kick a field goal and miss it off the upright. And then, I mean, it was just bad all around in terms of coaching in, in that one. Yeah, that one was an interesting one. I, I really thought Penn State was going to pu- you know, pull away in that game and, and put them away um, in, their, in their last meeting of that rivalry game, which is kind of disappointing. But like you said, you know, Pat Narduzzi just kept uh, stubbing his toe uh, and struggling to, to manage the clock and, and just bonehead decisions that some of the, you know, that's that's kind of a trend in these some of these college coaches, especially the old school guys, where it's just like, you know, why aren't you why aren't you going for it? Why aren't you kicking? Why are you kicking field goals and and all sorts of stuff? Um, so that one was was definitely disappointing from Penn State. Obviously huge that they pulled out the win. Um, but like you said, on the other side, Michigan State was was it was unbearable to watch at times. I mean. Last week, they, they put up some good offensive numbers against, the, I think, a good Western Michigan team. So you kind of thought they'd come out and uh, just and, and beat Arizona State pretty handily. But, you know, like you said, they, they've got their number, and it, it was disappointing. It's a huge win for Arizona State and Herm Edwards, who I was kind of a big critic of when they hired him. Uh, I, saw, so that, I uh, saw that tweet. You got you got some serious hate flowing through the veins I, of people on that one. Arizona State will not let me live that one down. Those fans, <laughs> as soon as they get a big win, I just come right into my mentions. I, I should delete the tweet, but I'm a man of, of pride in my words, and I'm sticking by it. <laughs> but, yeah, they, they come with full force when, when Herm gets a big win. Um, I kind of forget about the tweet until I see all my mentions. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Arizona State uh, got another one. <laughs> so I was uh, rooting for Michigan State in that regard, so I would just uh, survive the Sun Devil fans. But, uh, yeah, other than that, you know, Michigan State was disappointing. Maryland, obviously, we touched on a little bit, was disappointing. Uh, I, I was going to say Purdue, but I, I really didn't expect a lot from them with Sindelar out. You know, the young kid looked like a young quarterback, and, you know, they got the doors blown off by TCU. Did you catch any of that game? Uh, no, I wasn't able to watch any of that game. I was kind of catching some of the other ones on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just – it was just. I mean, TCU is a good football team, and obviously they have a good defense. But, man, Purdue just looks um, – they look pretty one-dimensional. They took away Rondale Moore, and it, it got ugly fast. Uh, 
So a tough start to the year for Purdue, but I think a lot of us expected that uh, around the conference that way. Um, other than that, there were some bad losses and there were some close wins. Minnesota was one that, you know, they've squeaked out three wins. They could easily be 0-3 if uh, if they get a couple different breaks. And after the game, P.J. Fleck was kind of talking, you know, well, we've, we've had to prepare for so many different uh, sets and, you know, kind of making excuses for his team's uh, tight play. But, you know, they're they're a team that easily could be a, a disappointment, but I think just squeaking out these wins against the inferior opponents is is certainly hurting the, the West as a whole. Yeah, and and kind of jumping on that, you know, PJ was talking, make, not only making excuses, but saying that their every team was kind of gunning for them as their Super Bowl when just a few weeks earlier, uh, was it Southern just played LSU? I mean, and LSU just right. wiped them off the field, so it's kind of like, all right, buddy, like figured out. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's it's it's a classic PJ Fleck move it seems like. I, I think most people are are used to it, but he's always got something to uh I mean and give him credit. He's he's a master of spin, you know. He can he can spin it any way he wants and he's a, he's a big talker, which is what he what he gets recruits and lands that way, but like you said, uh he, <laughs> he he's always one to make excuses and, and make it sound good. Going off of that, you know, we're, we're three weeks into the season, and obviously we've seen a lot of uh, good teams. We've seen a lot of good performances individually. Um, so with three weeks in, I wanted to just ask, who were your top three uh, Heisman contenders at this point? Um, I, I think the top two have got to be Tua and Jalen Hurts. The two of them are just putting up some silly numbers. I mean, Tua threw for over 400 yards again and was able to make some big-time plays. You know, I know he – one of those was a really long catch-and-run by Najee Harris that was just incredible. Um, but, you know, he's he's looking like one of the guys. Jalen Hurts is putting on a show each weekend. Um, and then I think I think we got to think J, uh, JT, you know, our own. He's got eight touchdowns. You know, he's got a big opportunity against Michigan. I think that could be a big uh, statement game for him if he comes out and is able to put up some – big-time numbers, and everybody knows that the Heisman is obviously about stats and usually a quarterback-driven award, but at the same time, it's also about those big moments where you kind of really make the big play, kind of like Reggie Bush had, and uh, he had that Heisman moment. And so, you know, Taylor's got to kind of grab the bull by the horns and make a big, big move this week if he wants to be uh, in New York come the ceremony. Yeah, I would agree. I, I I've got Hertz uh, number one uh, and Tua number two, and I'm I'm really hoping for this this Jalen Hurts hype train to continue. And I think I think a Tua Jalen Hurts matchup uh, in the college football playoff would be must see television. And you know that's that Hurts seems like he's on a mission to uh, prove a lot of people wrong and get back to that spot. And then uh, like you said, number three, I've I had JT, but I've also got Joe Burrow. I'm uh, I'm officially on the Joe Burrow stand hype train. I've, I've loved his play uh, for LSU. I've, I've loved the way he played against Texas, and uh, he's putting up monster numbers for for an offense that does not usually um, pass the ball even that much or, or put up that type of performance. So I'm I'm fully on board for him. But right now, I think it's I think it's a four team or uh, a four player race with Taylor. I think Trevor Lawrence with his interceptions is kind of uh, taking a back seat and with him not really having a lot of big games coming up, uh, that might hurt his status on, on getting to New York. Yeah, I think he's more of like an Andrew Luck type guy where it's like, yep, he's a big-time quarterback coming up but isn't going to necessarily b- blow you away by the numbers but then will is able to make 
big time plays when he needs to. Um, and then the other guy I wanted to bring up was Justin Fields. I mean, he, he's got that wide open offense and it seems like he's throwing to guys who are just wide open. Like it's, he's just able to make it, which mm-hmm. I know is a product of their offense, but I think he's, he's probably in that top six as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. That was one that I even forgot about just because it seems like week in and week out, he's putting up video game numbers. Like you said, guys are just insanely wide open. I thought Indiana would at least give them not a game, but a test the way it's at Indiana. So I kind of thought, you know, they always struggle and play. That's just a weird game for them to play usually. And they they didn't miss a beat. So the whole Ryan Day, Justin Fields replacing Urban Meyer and Dwayne Haskins does not seem to be an issue at all. If anything, they're, they're a better offense than, than what they were last year. Yeah, any any games uh, that you're looking forward to this week? Obviously, the Badger game is a big one, but any other games that you have caught your eye? Yeah, there's been a couple. Obviously, Georgia-Notre Dame is a big one, but I'm probably more interested in uh, Texas A&M and Auburn. I, I think both of those teams have a chance to be good, and I think on that same thought wave, I think both teams have a chance to be you know, a lower-tier SEC team. I know a lot of people were high on Texas A&M coming into the season. I didn't really buy that. Um, and a lot of people were uh, low on Auburn, and I didn't really buy that either. I thought they were going to be better than people thought. So I'm really interested to see that game and kind of just see which team is, is legit um, and see which team is really going to be a contender in the SEC West and see which one is maybe maybe a year away and still kind of a pretender that's benefited from from the preseason hype. What about you? Anything anything catching your eye? Yeah, that the Auburn Texas A and M game was one that definitely jumped out to me. Kind of for some of the reasons you had, you know, Bo Nix, young quarterback for Auburn. I think you know they they are they're ranked eighth, so they have a chance to really jump up if they were to take down A and M uh, at A and M, and then. Uh, a ton of touchdown Washington at BYU. I think that's a that's a good matchup just because it gives us a better barometer of who Washington and who BYU really are uh, after they've each had a loss against them, a team. You know, BYU, that game could really tell us how good uh, that Utah team is, or it could tell us just how uh, vastly overrated uh, Eason and Washington could be. Um, but then, yeah, the Georgia-Notre Dame one's obviously the big one. That's That'll be a good litmus test to see what those two teams are made of and really show if there is. I mean, everybody keeps saying there's a huge gap between, you know, the Clemson, Alabama, Georgia. It'll, I think that test against Notre Dame will be a good sense of is that gap really there or is it just more of uh, Notre Dame is a great team or is just, you know, so-so. Absolutely. I mean, the, the spread on that game was interesting to me too because I, I expected – you know, I, I expected a big number in favor of Georgia. I didn't expect two touchdowns. So it's clear that the clear the odds makers and, and people that follow the game really closely think there is that huge gap. And obviously Notre Dame has a has a chance to benefit uh, themselves and benefit the rest of the college football, you know, landscape and, and the other teams in contention to kind of close that gap. So it'll be interesting to see how that game shakes out. Obviously, if Georgia can come in and, and blow the doors off of them. Uh, it could be it could be tough sailing, and if Notre Dame picks up a loss, that really hurts them and kind of helps the other conferences uh, get into the, the the playoff discussion. Because anytime you have a Notre Dame, it almost shrinks the bubble, so, so to speak, uh, on some other conferences. So I'm I'm pretty excited on that one. But overall, this week, 
you know, week four is, you know, obviously we talked about a bad slate in week three, but week four is, is got some really good games on paper. So we'll see how those how those games really shake out. Yeah, and even on Friday, there's the um, Utah game at USC, which could be a good one, uh, especially to see um, what Utah brings to the table against some better competition. Uh, they obviously played BYU early um, and handled them nicely, but now they're entering uh, the Coliseum and kind of seeing what they bring to the table as well. Yeah, that game could be a, a dangerous one for the Pac-12 if Utah goes down. I mean, they're already hurting. Uh, I mean, if they had Utah lose, it would obviously help USC, but I, I, USC's got such a tough schedule, and they don't have Daniels the rest of the way. So if Utah were to slip up in that game, that could be it could really hurt uh, the Pac-12's you know playoff chances because obviously you already have you already have Oregon and Washington with one loss, and if Utah were to pick one up, that would be that would be tough for the conference to bounce back from. I was just gonna say, yeah, it really solidified the narrative of that the Pac-12 is really struggling, you know. Yeah, they've they've got some teams I think that are good, but I don't know if they've got anyone that's playoff ready. So that'll be a good testing point. And honestly, on a Friday night, that's a, it's a great Friday night game to to get, and I'll, I'll certainly be tuned into that one. Other than that, you got anything else you want to talk about in the in the college football world landscape? Uh, anything like that? No, I'm just really excited for this weekend because it's there are so many good games after a, a week three that was kind of a lot of people had their doubts about. Right. Yep. It's going to be an amazing slate, and thankfully the Badger game is early, so you can get back and catch some of those other games. I know people uh, don't like the 11 a.m. kick, but at the same time, if you're a college football junkie like you and I are, it's it's nice because you can get back and watch and, uh, some of those games. So it'll be an interesting slate, um, but obviously we're focused on Wisconsin and Michigan, and, and we're going to dive into some of that, kind of go over what our initial thoughts are, where our concerns are, but first we're going to kick it to a quick ad read. All right, it's time to talk Wisconsin-Michigan, 11 a.m. on Fox. Huge game, obviously huge implications for both teams in their pursuit of, obviously, the Big Ten Championship. And, of course, uh, if you're if you're making playoff discussions, this is a huge game because both teams have a, a couple other tests on their schedule. One thing I was going to touch on that we were asked to talk about is the uh, color scheme. I don't know, what section are you, uh, do you know what section you're supposed to wear, white or red, on Saturday, Matt? Yeah, I was uh, pretty happy that I ended up getting red. I don't have a lot of white Badger stuff, so I was really pumped to get red so that I uh, can really uh, dive into the closet for that. What about you? There you you go. Yep, I'm red as well in Z1. Shout out Z1. Uh, I'm agreeing with you. I don't really care to wear white uh, to the Badger games, so I was happy because I don't think I have any white Badger stuff either. Um, I, I stick with the traditional uh, red shirt that I've always worn, kind of a keep it as a good luck charm. So um, I was very happy to uh, to get the assignment of red as well. But if you don't know what color you are, the Badgers are looking to do a stripe out uh, with each section wearing white or red, something new that I, I can't remember them ever doing this in the past. Do you? No, and I'm, I've been going to games. My parents have been season ticket holders for about 30 years now, so I and I've been going to all of them, so I don't remember a stripe out. So I think it's a cool idea, and I'm excited to see it. Yeah, it'll be it'll be cool. I, you know, like you said, Wisconsin doesn't really do a lot of stuff like this. I mean, we hardly ever get you know different uniforms. I think we've got that next week with Northwestern, but it's cool, something different. So uh, make sure you go on uh, uwbadgers.com and check uh, what section you are and what color you're supposed to be, so you're. Uh, part of the crowd as, as the Badgers try to take down 
uh, a top 15 team in Michigan. So let's dive into Michigan uh, going off of that. Matt, what are your initial thoughts on this team? Obviously, Michigan started out a little slow, but they're still 2-0, and and they're coming off a bye. So what is what are your thoughts on the Wolverines? I think they're going to be hungry. I think uh, it's one of those things where Wisconsin had a lot of momentum cruising after those first two weeks, and Michigan obviously had their ups and downs. You know, even against Middle Tennessee, they didn't look great. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how the Badgers – um, if they can come out with that same passion and fire and keep that momentum rolling, or if it takes a quarter or so for them to get going. Um, but I, I'm guessing Michigan will come out, uh, you know, on fire, ready to play. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how the crowd, how quickly the crowd is into it and how quickly the Badgers can keep their mojo going. I think that's one of the keys to the game is who can get off to a hot start, especially in a, in a big game like that. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think the bye week, uh, it almost benefits Michigan more because they, they didn't have as momentum as much momentum coming into it. You know, they they were they were struggling on offense, and now they get an extra week to kind of fix that and work out some kinks. And then for the Badgers, you know, they had so much momentum, and then they kind of almost get halted into a bye week. So I think the bye week definitely benefits Michigan more. Um, but I would agree, you know, who comes out uh, – as a hot start, uh, will will be will be key for this game. And going off of this game, Matt, do you put any stock into the just one of the uglier games I remember uh, in last year's game? And if so, why? And if if not, tell us tell us your thoughts on that. So last year, I actually wasn't able to watch too much of this game simply because I was at a wedding, my cousin's wedding. So I was watching on my phone and trying to you know still be a, a good cousin, but um, <laughs> as best I could at least. Um, but I, I don't put too much stock in it. It's it's always a completely different team. You know, Michigan's reloaded com- almost completely on defense. They've got some of their studs back, but a lot of guys who made a big difference are gone. Um, and Wisconsin, you know, they had a lot of off-the-field issues last year that uh, kind of rose to the surface, and I think having Quintez Cephas back, having uh, a guy like Chris Orr as a, as a big-time leader on defense has really rejuvenated them, so I, I don't see it as that big of a thing. I think the offense looks a lot better than it did a year ago, and I think the run defense is a lot better. So I don't put too much stock in it, but uh, I do think uh, the Badgers are going to be out for blood wanting to get some revenge after that game. What about you? I thought it was interesting because at the presser, there was a lot of attention. Uh, the, the, the press conference on Monday, there was a lot of attention on last year's game and a lot of questions being asked about that game. And to me, I, th- I think both teams are so much different than where they were a year ago. Obviously, Michigan had you know, four or five guys from that defense that went to the NFL and, and early round draft picks, which they're missing. They've obviously filled a lot of those gaps, but they're not as well known. And then, you know, obviously, Wisconsin, it's a completely different offensive team. Um, with Jack Cohn, you know, I was looking at the stats from last year's game, and they were, I think, 2 of 11 on third down, and, and I think uh, Hornibrook was 7 for 20 throwing the ball. So, obviously, anytime you anytime you put those stats out, it's going to be a struggle. So, I, I think it's just a completely different look. Obviously, Don Brown is still their defensive coordinator, and you're probably going to get a similar look to what you had last year. But overall, I think these teams are, are, are much different than where they were in, in 2018. Just going to say, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting matchup and to see where these teams are because obviously you only have two games to measure up and, and Michigan has struggled in their two games but the Badgers have, have been you know pretty successful in their opening too. I think one big key is 
the fact that this game is at Camp Randall, where the Badgers, you know, they've split the last 10 with Michigan 5-5, five and five, but they've won four straight over Michigan at Camp Randall. So how big do you think that is to, to have the game at home um, in the camp? I think it's huge. I think it gives a little extra juice to the team. I think uh, it also gives them a little extra fire and knowledge that, hey, we we beat them last time they were here. Let's uphold that standard. Uh, I know Michigan, for one, is – I know the Badgers are like a three-point favorite right now, but they're, they've lost their last 13 games that they weren't – uh, the favorite Michigan has. So it's one of those things where have, going on the road into a hostile environment, there's going to have the Fox game day going on at uh, Camp Randall. So I think the there'll be some energy at the stadium, and that always helps. I know the players continuously talk about that. They are always uh, ready, especially when the team's there. Uh, I know we haven't really seen the Badgers other than that Minnesota game last year play an egg since maybe that Penn State game a few years ago. Um, so it's it's I think it'll definitely help them, uh, even though it's an 11 o'clock, t- 11 o'clock kick. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think home field advantage is, is so much more prevalent in college football than, than really any other sport. Obviously, college basketball can get uh, pretty special when you have a game at home of this magnitude, but college football especially is, is, is so crucial to have the game at home. And then when you look at Michigan's uh, woes both against ranked opponents and on the road. It, it, they obviously have some trends that they struggle with. I, I can't remember. I think they had lost uh, 17 straight games against ranked opponents uh, in general, home or away. Um, I think it was just away now that I'm looking at it. But uh, obviously they're they're notable for being a team that, that struggles on the road. So I, I think it's really important to have that game uh, at home. But still Michigan is, is going to come out. Um, and they're going to be strong, and they're going to be hungry to prove their point because obviously they've gotten a lot of flack. So what worries you most about this Michigan team coming into the game? They still have athletes. Uh, you know, they have they have guys that can that were big-time four- or five-star recruits that all it takes is one slip-up on the Badgers' end, and they can make the big play. You know, you've got a guy like Donovan Peoples-Jones. You, you've got some big-time wide receivers. Receivers, you got some big-time defensive backs who can who can make the big play when they need it. So while I think there are some places that the Badgers have some advantages, I do think that there are places where Michigan has one or two guys who can make the big-time splash play that when they need it. So it's all about kind of limiting those opportunities for Michigan if you're Wisconsin's uh, defense and keeping track of the ball uh, if you're the Wisconsin offense. They haven't struggled with turnovers yet while Michigan has, but at the same time, you know, you don't want that to all of a sudden pop up because that can be a big issue when you have Jonathan Taylor fumbling, for example, uh, and giving mm-hmm. them extra possessions. Yeah, I would agree. I think you kind of, mine's kind of going off the same thing. What concerns me the most, I think, is that the offense could just come alive. You know, right now they're, they're 77th in total offense, uh, talking about Michigan. You know, they're behind Michigan State and Illinois in terms of yards per play, but like you said, you see the athletes that they have on the offensive side of the football with Jay Patterson and the guys around him where if they have an extra week to prepare like they did, I, I'm, a, I'm a little worried that you know Michigan could come out you know firing on all cylinders because they've had that extra week to work out the kinks um, and the Badgers have had that week of basically having to sit back and, and wait to get back and to play football. So to me, the offense, you know, if they come out and just finally start clicking, um, I don't know how many in-game adjustments you can make because you haven't seen a lot of their new offense 
when it's really working. Obviously, we've seen them in the first two games, and it hasn't really been pretty. But if they get clicking, I, I don't know how much you can can change schematically on the defensive side uh, when you're when you're making adjustments that way, and, and you're not familiar with what they're going to run. I certainly like uh, catching Michigan early in this game too, or early in the season, I should say, um, because I think as they as they work that stuff out, it, it could be. Uh, it could be advantageous for the Badgers to get them when they're still trying to, to fix some things. I mean, what areas, obviously, I saw a tweet the other day, um, I think it was two days ago, where Michigan fan was, was saying all the advantages that Wisconsin, or that uh, Michigan had, but I, I don't necessarily agree with that. They have the athletes, but what area do you think Wisconsin has uh, adv- an advantage in this football game? I think it, the big place is obviously running back. you got Jonathan Taylor probably the best running back in all of college football. They got a defense or an offensive line uh, that can, you know, especially given the bye week, that's an area area that the Badgers might have grown a lot in. Uh, Getting Logan Bruss back would be huge. They struggled at times against Central Michigan running the ball. So I'm expecting the Badgers to really be able to push around a little bit more on the offensive line after that bye week because I can only imagine how ticked off Joe Rudolph was about uh, not reaching 200 yards rushing against Central Michigan. So I think that's an area that they'll be able to because I know Michigan is struggled up front on the D line and up the middle uh, trying to stop the run. So I think that's a spot that the Badgers have some an advantage. Uh, I also think that the Badgers have some some cohesion going on on defense and depth on defense that I don't think Michigan has. I know they have some great players, but Wisconsin has been able to, in their first two games, throw a lot of different players in a lot of different situations on defense because they've been in blowout blowout situations to get some added depth, get some players, some experience, like Keanu Benton, who's going to be starting at uh, nose tackle, Mm -hmm. that I don't think Michigan's been able to because they've been kind of, you know, toes on the fire uh, each game. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, like you said, schematically uh, with the offense, you, they're, they're going to run the football and they have that advantage there. But also going off that, I think they have an advantage just with their scheme and, and how it kind of plays into this game. Because I think it's going to be a tight, low-scoring game and, and Wisconsin's ability to to run the football uh, is certainly going to help them as they try and kind of deflate, not deflate the clock, but but control the tempo. Um but so in that way, I think it plays more towards Wisconsin because they're going to try and limit possessions and uh, and run the clock and, and run the football to, to keep the ball out of Shea Patterson in that offense's hands. So, Matt, overall, what's your what's maybe your key point? You know, the, what do the Badgers need to do to come away with the win in your eyes? I think the special teams has to uh, hold their end up with the bargain. I think the offense and the defense has looked really good so far this year. Special teams has been an area of concern, so I think you know you can't be missing field goals in in this type of a game. You've got to you can't have a you know a short twelve yard punt or something uh, crazy happen. So holding up their end of the bargain on special teams, and then also keep, keeping track of the ball, not turning the ball over. I, I think that's the big thing because if Wisconsin can play their game and hold on to the ball keep the possessions limited, and and just play their game. I think Wisconsin comes away with a victory. But if, if for some reason, JT puts the ball on the ground or Jack Cohn um, ends up throwing a couple picks or something like that, it's going to get dicey for them. Yeah, I would agree. My big point was when I was writing my uh, keys to victory post this morning, I was looking at some stuff, and I really think time of possession 
um, and limiting their possessions is going to be key. I was looking at it last year. The Badgers lost five games, and they lost the time of possession battle in four of those games, um, the one outlier being BYU, which was just an ugly game in general. Um, but in the eight games that they did win, they won the time of possession battle in each of those eight. So, you know, it, it's not quite a cor- exact correlation, but it's it's clear that the uh, the Badgers need to you know control the clock, keep control of the tempo, and if you if you do that and you win that battle, there's a good chance that you're going to come away with the W. So I think I think that's going to be really important. You know, I was looking at the uh, stats from last year's game and the Badgers lost on the time of possession battle against Michigan by almost 16 uh, minutes, which is which is a huge gap uh, for Wisconsin. Some of the other wins, it was maybe five or six minutes. Against Michigan, it was 15. And you know, that Michigan offense had a lot of big plays last year to where they, they didn't need to sustain drives. So I think for the Badgers, keeping drives going, you know, converting on third down, they were 2 of 11 last year, and hitting some key passes to keep drives going is going to be crucial in this game. Yeah, and I mean, I think the big thing is kind of both the things we touched upon are just following the blueprint that Barry Alvarez set up, you know, 30-some years ago and just making sure that they're staying true to themselves, staying true to what Paul Chris wants to do. And I think if they do that with it being at home, I think they win the game. I would have to agree. All right, so let's get into our final uh, uh, talking point, Matt. What are you thinking uh, for a score prediction for this game? Uh, do you happen to know what the uh, over/under is? Because I, I I I actually think that the Badgers are gonna are uh, gonna beat the spread. Um, so I'm I'm gonna say 21-10 is my guess. I think they'll they'll win by like uh, a little over a touchdown, maybe a touchdown, but I'll go with 21-10. That just seems right to me. Yeah, the the over/under opened at 47, and it's already down to 43. So a lot of people are expecting a. Uh, a big uh, low-scoring game, like you said. So 21-10 is what we've got on the on the record for Matt. And I was gonna go, you know, a little higher scoring. I have it at 27-24, but I think the Badgers pull it out late, and I could easily see it being a, a you know, a 21-17 type game. But I think the Badgers are gonna are gonna bust some big plays and, and score. But I think it's gonna be tight throughout. But the Badgers squeak out a win and. By by my calculations, because the spread is currently at three and a half, they wouldn't quite be covering. But I'll gladly take uh, Michigan. They can go ahead and cover if, as long as they uh, lose the game. That's fine with me. So, oh no doubt. <laughs> so it'll be an exciting time. Uh, obviously, Camp Randall's going to be rocking. I know it's eleven o'clock game, but I think uh, the the crowd's going to show up. We're going to have the stripes going, and uh, it should be an amazing atmosphere. And I'm I'm, I'm more excited than I can remember in recent years for for a game. I've seen the last time Michigan came to town was a huge one, but this one just feels like it could be big for big for both teams. Yeah, especially after the the way that the Badgers have looked the first two games. I mean, th- this is the type of game that can really propel them forward and get them back into uh, into big boy land of people thinking looking at them as a potential team that could upset and make their way into the playoff, for example, or a, a high-level bowl. Yep, it's, it's a huge game with, with huge implications, and uh, I think that's kind of all we have uh, on our front. One thing we were going to announce before we get into the, the, Michigan, with, or the Michigan preview with Anthony Broom, who, who writes for Maze and Brew, which is the similar uh, site to Bucky's Fifth Quarter, one thing we were going to announce is that uh, going forward, now that the Badgers no longer have a bye week and kind of a weird schedule, uh, we're, we're going to try and do this podcast twice a week. Uh, we're going to hop on on maybe Sunday or Mondays 
um, and get out you know our recap from the week's game, and then later in the week we'll do a little preview. So we'll kind of break it up, trying to get you guys some more shows, but uh, excited to to talk more Badger football. Yeah, anytime we can talk a little bit extra and uh, help the fans out with a little more of what we know and kind of what we want and what we think about coming into each game and what we think coming out of a game, I think it's always great. Exactly, exactly. So excited to be there. Uh, we'll have a full full show for you next week. Obviously, the bye week kind of threw some things off, but we're going to try that, and we'll bring uh, some more content to you guys and you know keep keep changing it up to make sure you guys are entertained. We last thing we want to do is get stale on you. So if there's any other ideas that you guys have as listeners, feel free to reach out for us. We want to uh, make the show you know, fully customizable to what you guys want to hear and want us to talk about. Other than that, uh, rate, review, and subscribe, and we're going to go now and kick it over to uh, our interview with Anthony Broom of Maize and Brew. All right, Badger fans, I'm now joined by Anthony Broom, writer um, and podcaster over at Maize and Brew, which is SB Nation's Michigan site. Um, Anthony, thanks for joining the show. Uh, of course, glad to be here. It's good to uh, be into the, uh, the meat and potatoes of Big Ten play now for both these yeah, teams. Yeah, fi- <laughs> right. It's, it's finally time to get to uh, some big games. Obviously, I know you guys had uh, a tough game with Army, but uh, now it's it's Big Ten football, which it, which is exciting for everybody for sure. Yeah, can I – let me just levy a suggestion here real quick. Sure, sure. Do not schedule a service academy. Like, just don't do it. Stay stay away from that if you can. Um, they're they're tough. Yeah, that's that's a unique and it's weird because the point spreads are always typically like pretty pretty sizable for those games. Like when mm-hmm. Army will play a Big Ten team, or obviously like in Oklahoma, but it's it's a bloodbath. Like it's a physical football game, and I think in a lot of ways, um, in terms of the physicality and what we see. It, when Army plays a team and what we saw a few weeks ago, it's kind of akin to what you'll see in a Big Ten game. So um, I think it was somewhat beneficial to kind of get that out of the way early on. Uh, but, yeah, still a scare nonetheless. Yeah, there's there's no other way around that. Right. Yeah, I actually think Wisconsin has Army um, not, in, not in the upcoming years, but down the road. I know they scheduled them um, for some year. It's still a ways away, but uh, they're always a tough matchup. You know, it's hard to get the ball away from a team like that, and they just play such a different style that no matter how much you prepare for them, it's tough. But, you know, they're a good team, and I think you guys, I think you guys uh, obviously came out, you know, on the right side of that one. So Yeah, let, let me say this, too. Uh, I am a Central Michigan alum, so I just want to say it right off the bat. Like, it was it was not nice what you guys did to my Chippewas a couple weeks ago, uh, but, but also very expected. Yeah, it was it was a rough one um, for the Chippewas. I, it was, you know, it, we Wisconsin sort of clicked. On all cylinders, more than more so than I think anyone even that, that follows Wisconsin expected. But uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure Central Michigan, you know, they were they were decent the last few years. So I think you know they'll rebuild. I, I would hope, It'll give you some hope as an alum for sure. Yeah, I mean, it won't stop them from calling and asking for money, but uh, maybe <laughs> might need to see a few more wins there first. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's it's this week is fascinating to me because you look at mi- what Michigan and Wisconsin have done so far. It's like one has not been challenged at all and has kind of fired on all cylinders while the other mm-hmm. has not been able to stay out of its own way. So what gives there is like the biggest thing I think I'm interested in finding out as we head into this game on Saturday. Do you think, Do you think? and I didn't put this in the pre-talk you know, talk notes, but how much do you think the bye week benefits Michigan to get their, you know, get things kind of clicking versus Wisconsin 
um, which was already kind of clicking. Basically, they they take you know a step back and have to wait to get back on the field. How beneficial is that for you guys? Yeah, I don't know how it's going to affect the game on Saturday. I do know with Michigan, a lot of what we've seen. And mind you, like the way that if you if you go into the you know the um, Michigan Twitter and what the fan base is kind of saying right now, you wouldn't think this is a two and zero football team. But again, right. a scare against Army will do that to you. Um, you know, Middle Tennessee, that's probably a 7-8-9 win football team. And, and really the, what happened in both of these games were self-inflicted wounds, the fumbles from Shea Patterson, um, not being able to execute and hit on big plays that are there. The big plays mm-hmm. happen there. They just haven't been able to hit on them. So I think when you talk about what happened, what how this bye week can benefit them, it's more of uh, you know maybe just – settling down a little bit. They are breaking in a new offense. It's, it's a little more up-tempo, a little more shotgun heavy than, than what Michigan has traditionally run. So, I mean, and, and a guy like Urban Meyer, I know he's in the kind of in the broadcast uh, realm now, and he's on the record saying, you know, sometimes when, you do, when you're breaking in a new offense, it might take five, six games to do that. And obviously Michigan doesn't really have the luxury of easing into it because they have the game against Army. They're going to go into Madison on Saturday afternoon. Um, I think a week off, when we looked at the schedule, it was one of those things where we're like, wow, week three bye week, that's that's kind of a bummer because what if they start out hot and then you, you cool down? But I think after the way the first two weeks of the year played out, people were kind of like, wow, this bye week feels extremely needed just to, just to settle down a little bit. Because like I said, a lot of the concerns that, people have about this team right now are that they have not executed well. They have made some, haven't been able to take care of the football. And it's it's stuff that I know they're breaking in a new offense, but it's stuff that we didn't really see from them last year. Uh, the right. defense has been fine, but uh, the offense, it feels like those guys have been pressing a bit. So now you, you had a week off and you're going into a game where, I mean, Vegas doesn't expect them to win and uh, you know, the nation isn't exactly expecting them to win. I, I think Getting out of Ann Arbor and coming off of a bye week actually might be somewhat beneficial to them. Going off, you you touched on the different offense, and I know that's probably the biggest difference from this year from this year's team to last year's teams. But is that the is that the main difference, or what's different on this Michigan team? Because obviously, you guys you know whooped Wisconsin last year in probably the ugliest game the Badgers played all season in 2018. So, but what's kind of different uh, from this Michigan team to last year's? Yeah, I say right off the bat, like like you just said, it is the offense, and and mind you, this is an offense as well that has been without arguably its best offensive playmaker uh, in Donovan Peoples-Jones. He was in a walking boot for the opener, didn't play against Army, had the bye week. We're not sure if he's going to play on Saturday. I think he will, but they've been down a playmaker there with them. But you know, there this is an offense that Michigan's going to run. That um, you know, it's not. They're not going to like a Big 12 air raid type of deal. It's more of a hey, let's let's get let's get numbers in our favor and let's just get the ball in the hands of our best matchup. And they've got three really good wide receivers. They've got you know some decent running backs. Shea Patterson hasn't played well, but um, he can be better. I think most of the offense is actually a pretty veteran group. I mean, you bring back a, a veteran offensive line with you know a handful of all Big Ten guys in there, and that's another piece they haven't had is their uh, their left tackle, but the offense is the and the system they're running under Josh Gaddis, they're still working on that. hasn't been great so far, but you can see you see that the flashes are there. I, I think really the biggest change is what Michigan lost on defense. 
you lost Chase Winovich, you lost Rashawn Gary, you lost Devin Bush, you lost David Long at cornerback. So um, the names are, are different there, but as has kind of been the case these last four years or so with Don Brown running the defense is that they've been able to just kind of plug guys in. And so far, the pass rush has left a little bit to be desired and more the interior of the, the defensive line. They have some questions there, but uh, overall, I don't think the defense has skipped a beat despite being the group that had maybe the most amount of questions coming into this year. So uh, that's kind of where things stand in terms of what's different based on what happened. And the biggest difference, too, is that um, this game won't be in Ann Arbor, which um, sure. that's I think that played a big part of it as well. When these two teams played last year, I think Michigan had really started to kind of hit its stride. Um, they had a few weeks, you know, coming out of, coming off the opening loss at Notre Dame. They had a scare at Northwestern uh, early on in the season, but then it seemed like with Wisconsin that game they just kind of started to get rolling there. So um, right now it's one of those things where I think it would be. <laughs> It, they're in a much different spot right now, uh, in sure. terms, of, just despite not having a loss on the resume yet. Right, right. So, which aspect of obviously you talked about all the changes, but what aspect as a Wisconsin fan should we worry most about with Michigan? I would say that Michigan hasn't played its best football game yet. Uh, that and they've played two games really where their struggles in both of their games weren't because of flaws that they had. Sure. Um, on the roster or anything like that, it's been it's been turnovers, it's been fumbleitis. Um, mm-hmm. I think the concern would be okay. We we think that Shea Patterson can play better than he has. Okay, they're going to get their all Big Ten left tackle back. They might get their best offensive playmaker back. Um, I, I think the concern would be hey, if this team comes out and plays with an edge, like and you can not that this matters at all because you know, there's a game to play on Saturday, but when you go position by position. You can make the argument that, I mean, maybe outside of quarterback and running back right now, Michigan might have the advantage at just about every other position. Uh, right. But that doesn't mean anything if, you know, it's not coming in from the sideline and if you're making those mistakes. So um, I think the biggest concern would be uh, if a Donovan Peoples-Jones returns. Um, and, and really, I, I think... Michigan is going to do defensively. Like I, I think what they're going to try and do is kind of just let Jonathan Taylor get his and try mm-hmm. and shut down everything else. And I guess the concern would be, you know, if I'm a Wisconsin fan, do we have enough playmakers? Do we have the quarterback played to maybe overcome, um, you know, a defensive effort where they're throwing the kitchen sink at us as opposed to Jonathan Taylor? And, and Taylor is the guy who who had 100 plus yards in these last two matchups, but. Um, you know, is Wisconsin, does Wisconsin have enough to kind of overcome uh, being locked down like that? I, I think if I was a Wisconsin fan, I think those are those would be the questions I'd be asking right now. Yeah, that's kind of what we talked about in our you know Matt and I's discussion. You know, previewing the game was that you know my main concern was what happens when this Michigan offense really does start clicking, and, and does Wisconsin have the pieces to kind of adjust in game uh, to account for that? Because like you said, you guys have a, a ton of playmakers that just just haven't broken out yet. Um, as a as a Michigan, you know, a follower and uh, and fan, what aspect of Wisconsin worries you most? Uh, first and foremost, I would say just Camp Randall in general, like sure. that. One of the toughest places to play, you know, in all of college football, and that place, 
I know I've seen the videos. I've seen the place legitimately rocks when when the place <laughs> is going nuts. Um, is that you know we, we've seen a Michigan team that struggled to play at home? How are they going to play in that atmosphere against sure. a team that you know has you know regardless of how you guys feel about coming off the bye week? But and I know I don't think this is that hot of a take to say that um, Middle Tennessee State and, and Army were better teams than than South Florida and Central Michigan. But at the same time. Oh, at the same time, it's been a team that's fired on all cylinders, which is what mm-hmm. you want to see. Um, and again, it's one of those things too where non-conference play is one of those. You know, if you struggle against a team, people will whine and say, "Oh, well, you should have blown them out." But then, if you actually do your job and blow a team out, I'm like, "Oh, it doesn't matter. You didn't play anyone." So right. <laughs> it's one of those things where um, you know, I think the biggest concern, yeah, it's is this team. If this team plays, you know, executes well, and we don't like Wisconsin, if they just execute well, forget scoring forty points, thirty points, whatever. Mm-hmm. If they just execute well. Michigan doesn't play well. Like that's good enough to beat Michigan. Like it just is. So sure. I, I think I think really Michigan should be on high alert this week. And you know, they're not the favorite. Wisconsin's favored to win, but um, I, I think the biggest concern is is our best football. Uh, good enough to win at Camp Randall. I don't know if anyone knows that answer right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's obviously a tough place to play. I know the Badgers have have won the last four when you guys have came here. So, you know, it definitely gives Wisconsin a a distinct advantage in that regard. And and when you have, you know, we don't have the talent that Michigan probably has, but when you have it in your home stadium, it's obviously a huge help. And, you know, anytime a team comes to Camp Randall, it's tough. So it'll be interesting to see, like you said, if, if they have enough to win on the road. Going off of that, you know, Obviously, Wisconsin fans who follow things closely probably know Shea Patterson, and, and they probably know some other names, you know, Peoples Jones and and those guys. But who's someone that the Badger, you know, fans may not know of that they should, you know, be on the lookout for and maybe worried about that could really, you know, take over a game? Yeah, I don't know if take over a game would be the right word, but Michigan's mm-hmm. got a pretty good freshman running back right now in Zach Charbonnet that. Um, you know, to me, this guy is—he's the real deal. He—they felt strongly enough about him that he had 33 carries against Army. Which, listen, I don't think that's the recipe they want to use with a freshman running back, but uh, they trust him enough to do that. And he blocks well. He catches the ball out of the backfield. He's a tough runner. He kind of—he sort of reminds me, and like this is not a direct comparison, but just the way he sure. looks, the way he plays. Um, he's got a little bit of David Johnson to his game, and I think okay. that. If Michigan's able to kind of get him involved in, um, you know, because I, I, I think I, – I don't think anyone should respect the Michigan passing game right now. So I do see a scenario where you probably see Wisconsin load the box. Um, and that's where maybe the return of a guy like Donovan Peoples-Jones. Like you have to pass the ball to open those lanes up for Charbonnet and uh, Christian Turner, and, and maybe they'll see True Wilson back this week as well at running back. But um, I don't know. And in terms of takeover a game – I, I think if Shea Patterson is healthy, I think we can see, like, he had that, you know, I believe it was the Wisconsin game where he had the 81-yard run last year that yeah. kind of set Michigan up and got him going early. So um, his reads on some of these read option plays have not been great so far, but um, if they just tighten things up there and he's able to run the ball and uh, maybe you get a, an extra guy or two out of that box. Um, I think it's more just a group effort, like in terms of executing and, and taking over the game as a unit. I don't think, I think this offense is constructed to 
kind of just take advantage of the matchups that they have. You know, you've got Donovan Peoples-Jones, you've got Tariq Black, you've got Nico Collins, you've got a pair of good tight ends in Sean McHugh and, and Nick Eubanks. So, um, you know, it's really just a matter of diagnosing what the Wisconsin defense is giving you and, and seeing what the, the matchup is from there. So I guess what is what is maybe one key area um, that you think Michigan needs to, to execute or, or really hammer home uh, to win this game on the road? Uh, as cliche as it is, I think it comes down to really, I mean, we've talked about turnovers and things like that, but yep. um, winning the battle in the trenches on both sides of the football. I mean, Michigan has recruited very well on the offensive line, and those guys have actually developed into a, a pretty good unit, but... No, Wisconsin seems like seems like your squad just kind of pulls guys off the farm, off the tractor, and just throws <laughs> them out there, and they they become all Americans or first round picks or things like that. So um, I, I think getting a push on both sides of the ball is going to be so critical in this game. Um, you know, Michigan has done a pretty good job on the defensive side of the ball so far, replacing Rashawn Gary and Chase Winovich. Um, Aiden Hutchinson's a guy who I think is kind of working himself into that star uh, pass rusher type of role. And, you know, they've got some interesting things they can do on that side of the ball in terms of positional versatility. But um, I really just, as cliche as it is, I think it's going to come down to being able to to run the football and, and stop the run or at least contain the run. I know Michigan wants to uh, – <laughs> Michigan knows that Jonathan Taylor, you, you don't stop a guy like that, especially when he's right. such a – when he's such a focal point of that offense. Um, so I, I think it really just becomes taking care of business in all the other aspects that they can. Very good. Very good analysis uh, from Anthony. All right. My final question, and I, w- I was going to ask you, you, we've talked about all the different aspects. So so what's your score prediction uh, for this weekend's you know crucial matchup in the Big Ten? Oh, well, I think it's going to be relatively low scoring, something in the, you know, 20 to 24 points range with whoever the winning team is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Based on what we've seen, and and really, um, this is a Michigan team going back to the last, you know, the first two games of the year haven't been all that impressive. Obviously, everyone knows what happened in the bowl game, what happened against Ohio State. Like, so we're going on four or five games now where it's like Michigan really doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt to get it done. Um, so I will take Wisconsin in this game. Uh, I'll take them 21. We'll go 21-20. Um, we'll go real close here. So I'll give Michigan the cover at least. But, um, you know, based on what we've seen, uh, based on where they're headed, uh, the the atmosphere they're going to be playing in, I can't in good conscience, uh, despite the advantages they have at pretty much every position group, despite, you know, if they just clean up the turnovers. Like, through two games, the turnovers have been, have been a, tre- a bad trend, and some of the play calling has been a bad trend. And until we see it reversed, I can't really pick them to win. So I will go with the Badgers, but I don't I don't see this as being the death march that a lot of Michigan fans seem sure. to think it is. I do think it will be a very physical, very competitive football game. And people don't realize, like, the last time that these two teams played in Madison, things kind of spiraled out of control after – Michigan starting quarterback got knocked out of the game. Um, right. Yep. So we'll we'll see we'll see what happens there. Um, I feel these two teams play each other really tough. Um, 
it's always a really physical game. I think last year was more the exception uh, to what we've seen. I don't expect either team to blow the other one out uh, out on Saturday. Excuse me. Yeah, I would agree with you. That's kind of what we talked about too. Uh, I think it'll be low scoring. I think I said uh, 27 to 24 in favor of Wisconsin, but I could easily see it being 27 to 24 in favor of Michigan. You know, last year I think you know was was an awkward outlier, and Wisconsin had you know their, their own things going on. But uh, it'll be interesting to see, and I, I'm sure our listeners are happy to happy to hear you uh, <laughs> pick the Badgers. But uh, we'll, we'll see on the field on Saturday. So. Yeah, I can't lie to you. I'm not going to sit here and be the. Well, I could easily come out here and, and play hail to the victors and say right. you know, <laughs> Michigan's going to win 42 to 10. But um, and there might be scenarios in play where that can happen, but right. I, I don't see it happening. Right, so, right. Um, and this team, Wisconsin, has been to Big Ten title games. They've won the Big Ten in the last you know 10, 15 years. Michigan hasn't done it in 2004 or since 2004. So it's one of those things where we're at a point, and really the fan base is at a point where, you know, it's not negative, but we're just kind of in, like, wait-and-see mode. And we haven't seen anything for two weeks to suggest that this is a special or a, a championship-caliber team. So that's that's where it is. Awesome, awesome. Well, again, Anthony, thank you for joining us. Um, and if you, our Badger listeners are looking for more insight uh, on the on the game, make sure to check out Maize and Brew. Um, is it just maizeandbrew.com for you guys? It sure is. Yep, and uh, at Maze and Brew on Twitter. It's an N, not an and. So Maze and Brew. Okay. Um, okay. Perfect. Important distinction there. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Like you said, if, if our listeners are looking for for more insight from a, from a different perspective, you, you're going to get some great content from those guys over there. I've been reading some of your stuff from the last couple of weeks, and uh, it's a, it's been great. So uh, I appreciate you joining the show, and uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday. Of course, anytime. Thank you.